Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> it may be the nighttime, but the sports talk doesn't stop. Sports talk radio that's live, local, and not for the faint of heart. Oh, you didn't know! Sometimes angry. Loud noises! Telling it like it is. You insulted him a little bit. You got a little out of order yourself. And pretty much always right. Well, don't ever argue with the big dog. Big dog is always right. Text or call 404-741-0929 and be part of the show. Well, we're waiting. Live from the Kia Studios, it's time for the John Chuckery Show. Serving you up sports on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. And welcome into Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Yes, it is time for the John Chuckery Show. Hanging out with you in the Kia Studios on this Friday night. With you for the full four. We're asking you to download the Odyssey app. You're not in the car as much. You want to listen in. Put the Odyssey app on one of your devices today. You can use your smartphone. You can use your Alexa speakers. You can put it on your tablet. You can use your iPod, your webcam, your drone. Whatever it is that your, your electronic device is. Put it on there today. Social media is at 929thegame on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And as always, best way to keep up with us is through our personal Twitter pages. I am at JMCH316. That is your water cooler talking points three to six months in advance of anybody else that is out there. Producing the show, as always, on the other side of the glass. Day Day is in the house at the D. Lewis for real. Lot to get into with you here uh, tonight. Uh, it is Friday night, and the Braves are at home, so the best uniforms in baseball will be trotting out here in just a little bit. Um, Braves are going to take on the uh, Colorado Rockies in Game Two of this series. Seven twenty, first pitch from Truist Park. Jared Schuster on the mound uh, for the Braves uh, tonight. Look, he's been better since he's gotten back up here. Um, his last start, he was uh, five innings with three runs. Got the victory over the Nationals. He's won three of his last four starts without a loss. So he's won three straight games, and he's won three of his last four with no losses uh, in there. Started off 0-2, and since then he's had three straight wins. So sitting at 3-2 and with a 5.05 ERA. Still a little bit high, but um, he has you know pitched a little bit better. Five and a third uh, innings and two runs in the start against Oakland. And then on June 10th, it was five innings and three runs and a victory over the uh, uh, Washington Nationals. And now look, at, look, it's another chance for, again, a victory tonight where you're playing another last-place team, right? You're playing another dreadful team, so um, you get a chance to 
pick up another victory. Um, you know, Braves right now, when you look at the standings, eight games over Philadelphia, five games over the Marlins. So that's starting to creep up, right? Braves are eight and uh, two in their last ten. Give the credit to, I mean, look, Marlins are seven and three in their last ten, and the Phillies are eight and two in their last ten. So they're hanging tough, but right now, Braves eight games over Philadelphia, and then the New York Mutts, they're two and eight in their last ten. Couldn't happen to a better club, right? Couldn't happen to a better club. Crazy to think the Marlins are seven games above 500 with a minus 30 run differential. Minus 30. That's worse than Philadelphia and the Mutts. They're minus 30 in, in run differential, and yet they're seven games above 500. They're 21 and 13 at home. That's been the thing about them. Is they've been a really good team in what is that place called? Marlins Park or whatever, Joe Robbie or whatever it's called. Uh, they're a game below 500 on the road, but uh, they are eight games above 500 at home. So Braves have a five game lead over them. I expect the Braves uh, to win uh, tonight. Let's see if Jared Schuster can, um, you know, just kind of get through. I mean, look, five, six innings. I mean, that's that's what we're asking for, right? He's only had one start that he has uh, that he's pitched a whole six innings. And last night, you know, again, the Braves win win uh, last night. Um, you know, look, this team is rolling right along. And and we talked about the month of June. Now, now we're officially past the halfway point of June. So we're on the downslope to the month of June. But this has been a good month for the Braves so far this year. It's been a good month for the for the for the home team and Look, I, I expect it to be, by the time we get to July, I really do think that they will have a double-digit lead over the Mutts and the full bullful Phillies when all is said and done. May not be double-digit over the Marlins, but I think they'll be double digits over both the Phillies and Mets when uh, when all is said and done as we get toward the month of July. Then we look forward to the All-Star break and all that kind of stuff. Trade deadline will be, you know, coming up uh, here, you know, shortly and all that kind of stuff. I mean, so... Um, you know, obviously, you know, it's it's still going to be a busy summer, but, you know, this division is starting to get to where, okay, you feel like you've gotten through some of the early tests and stuff like that, but this month of schedule uh, has been very beneficial to the Braves, and maybe they needed it, you know, for a chance to get their young pitcher some experience because we don't know when Max Fried and Kyle Wright are going to be back, right? We know Anderson's out done for the year. We don't know what the status of Michael Soroka is. I've not heard much of anything. I mean, maybe somebody's, you know, had some updates about what's been going on with him. But, uh, you know, as of right now, we just don't really kind of have some sense of understanding about when or if he's coming back up this particular season. So you're just trying to kind of hang in there with some of your young guys until either you get to the trade deadline or you got Max Fried and Kyle Wright back at some point. And maybe hopefully by August that those guys come back. But, you know, we'll see. But right now, they've got their three starters and a whole cavalcade of youngsters from there, and they're getting it done. And, and they're getting it done, and the schedule has really benefited them here over this past month uh, here as uh, the Braves are 43-26, and 26, now 21-15 and 15, uh, at home. So they've now started to pull away a little bit at home after kind of struggling at home earlier in the year where they were so good on the road now the home wins are starting to accumulate, and they're starting to get a little bit, a uh, little bit more, you know, separation between, you know, the wins and losses uh, at home. So we'll keep you up to date 
all night long about what goes on with the uh, Braves baseball as uh, the best uniforms in baseball will be broken out. Are they doing the um, throwbacks tomorrow? Do we know day day? Yeah, so it's pretty much every Saturday, every okay. every home Saturday. Okay, I so say. every home yeah, every home Saturday. so every home Friday is the Reds. Every home Saturday is the uh, the I guess the the, what is, the, the city, city edition. Yep. Yeah, the city edition uh, uniform, which is kind of a throwback um, to the uniforms from the seventies and such like that. So uh, again, your pitcher for uh, the Rockies tonight. Um, let's see here. This is uh, is it Lamette or Lemay? Denilson Lemay Lamette. Well, here's what I know. Uh, he ain't, he ain't met a Met yet, and uh, he's oh uh, sorry one and three with a ten plus ERA. Is that good, Day Day? Do we do do we know if that's if that's good or not? Um, that's horrible. Oh, it's not not so good. Yeah. Oh, okay. And the All crazy right. part is Schuster's ERA is half his. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Schuster's got an ERA that's five. And that's still half of what the right. uh, what the Rocky starter uh, is going to be uh, tonight. So yeah, it's uh, uh, it's not uh, not been so good. So um, but anyway, he's uh, got a 10.38 ERA. He's made three starts uh, this year. He has he's mostly a bullpen guy. He's come out of the bullpen a whole bunch, but he has made three starts and uh, he's got uh, seven. Or sorry, no, he's got uh, three homers given up in 21 innings. Uh, but he has struck out 26 guys in 21 and two thirds. So. He does get outs without contact, but, um, you know, he's been kind of a, you know, he's given, let me put it this way, he's given up 25 runs in 21 and two-thirds innings. That's probably not a good ratio when it comes to your ERA. So Braves should be able to get a victory uh, tonight. Uh, your lineup uh, tonight uh, for the Atlanta Braves looks like this. Ronnie, Ozzie, Riley, Darno, Olsen, Ozuna, Rosario, Arcia, and then Michael Harris will hit in the ninth hole. And, again, we've talked about how the bottom of that order has been so good for the Braves. It, it really hasn't mattered how much they mix and mash and different things like that. But when that bottom of the order gets things cranked up and going, the Braves are not beatable. They're not going to lose games. If their seven, eight, nine hitters are producing, and they've had some monster games here in the month of June where they've gotten lots of product, lots of runs scored, lots of RBI, so if they get the bottom of that order cranked up, I mean, again, I know how good everybody is at the top. I know how good Ronnie and Ozzie and Riley and Darno and and um, uh, Sean Murphy and everybody else has been. And Ozuna's had you know a good year for him. But when that bottom of the order seven, eight, nine get things going and get things cooking, this team is almost unbeatable. And that's really how they've won games. I mean, they have not pitched particularly well. I mean, they, they've they've had their struggles as far as their starting pitching goes, but still. Um, when you have that much, you know, firepower on offense and your lineup is that deep, you can get away with, you know, some less than stellar starting pitching. I mean, it's not not like they're winning games one to nothing right now, right? I mean, their, their offense is kind of rolling right along. Uh, Ricky Fowler continues to lead the U.S. Open. As of right now, he's still 10 under, uh, two under for today in his round after shooting that 62 yesterday. That was the lowest round in uh, U.S. Open history, so uh, remarkable round. And, uh, you know, again, I think this will be a fun weekend because we don't have any idea of how this course plays, right? And the weather conditions can change. I mean, you know, it's it's like Atlanta, you know, in a lot of ways with L.A. I mean, conditions can always change and things can always, you know, go, you know, a different direction weather-wise. But, um, but this course has been pretty favorable to players and it's not a typical U.S. Open type of course. And 
obviously the kind of the secretiveness of this course, right? This is one of the most exclusive private clubs uh, in America, right? This is not a, uh, in fact, I, I don't even think it's, I don't think that there's a road uh, that you can view the course from, right? It, it's almost like, the, I think there's like everything is kind of, like there's, I think there's one road that has a little bit of an opening, but it's even kind of closed off to where you can't see a whole lot. So now speaking of golf, Tiger Woods has already said that he is going to sit out the Open Championship at Royal Liverpool. Um, the RNA spokesman uh, for the tournament said that, quote, we have been advised that Tiger will not be playing at Royal Liverpool. We wish him all the best uh, with his recovery. So uh, we didn't think, I mean, you know, it's going to be the final major of the year. We didn't really think he was going to play in that uh, major. No timetable has been set for his return uh, to golf. 47 years old. Um, uh, you know, look, after what we saw earlier this year where, I mean, with the plantar fasciitis and all the different things going on, look, he just was not in a, in a good, you know, physical frame of mind at the Masters. And he had to withdraw uh, because of the plantar fasciitis in his right foot, uh, the same injury that caused him to withdraw from the Hero World Classic Challenge in February. So uh, the, the only way that that gets better is just rest, just rest. And, and you can't push it, and the pain is just excruciating when you have plantar fasciitis. So, again, no timetable for his return. I, I would say that, you know, we're not going to see him anytime soon. Uh, I would be curious to give his to have his thoughts about you know, all of the uh, drama with the Live Golf Tournament and all that kind of stuff that's been going on. But anyway, he's not going to be at the, uh, at the you know, for lack of a better term, the British Open, as we like to call it here in the States, uh, the final major of the year. John Morant suspended 25 games by the NBA. Uh, again, I, I know Dukes and Bell were talking a lot about this, and, and they didn't think that that was enough games. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, it's what, about a quarter of the season? You know, so, uh, okay, you know, um, maybe a little bit more than a quarter of the season, maybe closer to a third of the season. But still, um, there wasn't a there wasn't an actual crime that was committed. But the perception is how bad that the look was for him, right? And, Day-Day, what, what do we always say? What do we always yeah. say on the show? Perception has the same yep. effect as truth. Yep. And – it, from a perception standpoint, felt like he was committing this crime and all this kind of stuff, when in fact the reality is, is that he wasn't, but it's perceived. And that's the thing about that. And we, we always talk about this on this particular show that, you know, again, if something is perceived to be true, it might as well be. It might as well be true. So, you know, when you, when you have the Instagram, you know, the, the, the Insta-face stories and all this kind of stuff and the, and the face, you know, face chat stories and all this kind of thing, it just doesn't look good. Even though it may not be a crime committed or, you know, again, the, if you're a legal gun owner and all this kind of stuff, that's not a crime or anything. But perception, when you've had issues in the past, right, and, and you've had those moments in the past and now you bring them back out to social media and all that kind of stuff, it's just the look of it isn't good. And, you know, we'll see. I mean, I think they're going to have a – I think moving forward that this will be a no-tolerance policy for John Moran. Either he gets it fixed now and he's one of the bright young superstars of the NBA or then the next time it will be 
the, the hammer will come down. Because, again, he's done this before. This is not the first time that he's been flashing the guns on, you know, Insta, you know, Insta face, you know, and, and the grand book and all that kind of stuff. So um, he's done this before. So uh, they probably gave him a little bit of a, you know, reprieve. Okay, 25 games, you know, you're going to miss out on a lot of money. I think, what, $7 million, $7.5 million that he's going to miss out on. So, um, you know, that's a big big chunk to to miss out on. But still, um, hopefully he gets things figured out. Hopefully he takes this more serious now. I know that he um, put out a statement issued today. I don't really care. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I, I could care less about what some of these guys say and all that kind of stuff. So, All right, when we come back. We'll open up the phone lines to you, 404-726-0929. This has only happened one time in the last decade for the Falcons. Could it happen this year? I'll explain next. Chuck Rinakia Studios, Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, the Odyssey.com app. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Sports Radio 92.9, the game back at a Chuckery show, hanging out in the Kia studios on this Friday evening with you. All right, 404-726-0929. That is our phone line, and it is our Solomon Brothers 
Diamond Text Line. We're going to open up the phone lines here you for, uh, here for you. Um, you can comment on what we're going to talk about here. Uh, we are going to talk to our friend of the show, Christy Dosh. She's coming up here in about uh, 20 minutes from right now. Talk some NIL with her. She is a business writer for a sports business writer for Forbes. Um, she does a lot of work in the field of NIL, even kind of running a college uh, for NIL. So we've got a lot of things to cover with her. Joe Patrick going to join us at 820 this evening. We'll talk some Falcons foosball with him. When it comes to the Falcons, one, one interesting stat is the fact that the Falcons have had only one player reach double digits and touchdowns as a receiver in the last 10 years. So the Falcons have only had three, six. The Falcons have only had seven different guys in franchise history that have had double-digit touchdowns in a season as a, as a receiver, tight end, whatever like that, as a pass catcher, let's say. Andre Risen leads the way. He had four seasons, 90, 91, 92, 93. Alfred Jenkins had one in 81. Terrence Mathis in 94 and 98. Roddy had back-to-back seasons of double-digit touchdowns, 2009 and 2010. Mike Haynes, 91 and 92, had double-digit touchdowns. Julio in 2012, and the last guy to do it was Calvin Ridley in 2010, who was exactly at 10 touchdowns. So it's been a decade where we've only had one guy in the most pass-happy era of the NFL, in NFL history, where guys are putting up all of these big numbers and passes are being thrown at record rates, yards are being accumulated at record rates, wide receivers are having these monster years that we could have never imagined. I mean, think about John um, Stallworth and Lynn Swan playing in today's NFL, right? I mean, Terry Bradshaw threw it about 17 times per game. Think about that. He threw it about 17 times per game. Now, remember, we talked about the two 1,000-yard rushers. They were one of the first teams in the NFL to have two 1,000-yard rushers in Franco Harris and Rocky Blyer. And yet they had two Hall of Fame wide receivers out there throwing it about 17 times a game. Think those guys don't lick their chops about, you know, in the era that if they had played in this era, the numbers that they would have accumulated? I think Lynn Swan had about 6,000 yards, was it. Hell, guys have that in four years now. I mean, Stephon Diggs has probably got that in four years. It's crazy to think. So who's next? That's the question at 404-726-0929. Who's next? You know, there's a definite plethora of guys who could be double-digit touchdown guys for the Falcons this year. It We certainly think that Kyle Pitts has to be the leader in the clubhouse, right? And, and I keep going back to, at some point, it has to be Travis Kelsey. 100 catches, 1,500 yards, a dozen touchdowns. If he's going to truly impact football games, you can miss me with the whole 1,026 yards. I'll, I'll blow that stat up in, in seconds. It's got to be impact. And, and that's the biggest thing about this is that having a receiver where, again, you, you, you get a guy down deep, you, you, you change the dynamic of a game. Now, there are plenty of candidates, as we said. Look, Kyle Pitts, I think, I think he might break through this year. Certainly Drake London is a guy who, with his big physical body, can certainly become that kind of player. And, and if we're going to get to a, an elite red zone offensive status, then you're probably going to have to have one or two guys 
that end up with double-digit touchdowns on this team. Because we're going to talk about being 67% touchdown percentage in the red zone. That's going to get us to that elite status level. Top five, top six type of level. That's where you know the, the elite teams live in the red zone is in that 67% and higher red zone efficiency as far as scoring touchdowns go. But certainly, B. John Robinson could be a guy that has 10 touchdown receptions. Kyle Pitts, Drake London, Janu Smith could be a real X factor in the red zone. There are certainly plenty of options. And I do think that they will allow Desmond Ritter, when he gets down deep, to be able to throw the football. Probably even more than Mariota because they trusted Marcus Mariota. I think they trust Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter is not going to be the turnover machine that Marcus Mariota was. So you could use him down in the red zone to be a guy that throws the football. Yes, obviously our DNA is to run heavy, run first, you know, run a lot. That's that's what the DNA of this ball club is. But when you're talking about when you're talking about the idea of what our red zone offense is going to be like, there are some definite mismatches in the red zone. Pitts is a mismatch. London can be a mismatch. Johnny Smith can be a mismatch. B. John Robinson can be a mismatch. There are plenty of guys that when you look at this roster that they should be guys that are mismatches on offense in the red zone. And that will create a lot of opportunity for some guys to put up some really good numbers. You know, even if some of these guys aren't 100-catch guys, and we talked about last night on the show, I, I think Desmond Ritter is under the 475 pass attempts. But from a production standpoint, this thing could be, you know, you could have Drake London, Kyle Pitts be double-digit touchdown guys, even without some of the some of the high-volume catch guys. You know, Drake London could have 75 receptions and 10 touchdowns. I'll take that. I'll take that from, from uh, Drake London. You tell me he becomes a red zone threat and he's a real target in the red zone and he breaks through, I'll take that all day long out of him. I'll take, I'll take the fewer catches if you tell me his touchdown production increases. And that was always the big bugaboo about Julio Jones, right? It just We could not figure out how to get Julio Jones off in the red zone. He had one season where he had double-digit touchdowns for the Falcons. One. In 2012, he had one season. What Antonio Brown had multiple years of like 14, 15 touchdowns. But yet we couldn't figure out a way to do it. So 404-726-0929. Who's the next guy to break through that double-digit touchdown reception, Mark? Uh, let's go to Ramil out in Brooks County. What's going on, Ramil? What's going on, boss? Hey, buddy. Uh, I- I think this player right here is not really on too many people's radar. I think he's actually going to be sneaky good. I don't think he's going to have a lot of catches or, like, crazy yards because it's so, going to be so much attention on all those tall receivers and Dijon and Cordero out the back. But I think Scotty Miller is going to have a lot of touchdowns this year. Yeah, I mean, look, he's another guy that, you know, he could be a sneaky guy, kind of to your point. When, when you have to focus on so many different types of players, guys like that find themselves getting free, right? I mean, that's the thing about – you know, when you have a guy like that, that he can find a way to, you know, sneak inside and, and find his way into a whole bunch of catch. You know, again, we in, in I guess, what do they call it, Day-Day? In, in fantasy football, um, like they, they have players that are like vulture. What is it they call it? Like vulture touchdown players 
where where there are guys that are like short yardage backs at the goal line that a running back will do all of the work to get the team down there, and then somebody is like a vulture. They come in and, and mm-hmm. score all the touchdowns. You know, they may not have many many carries or yards or things like right. that, but you know, T.J. Duckett was a guy like that for us, T- right? Yeah, T.J. Duckett. I mean, yep. when when Warwick Dunn would would you know run up and down the and field, they would hand it to T.J. to pound it. Yep, in. exactly. I mean, he was that big bruiser back yep. to, to hand it inside to, and T.J. Duckett would be the guy that would like scoop up the touchdowns. That could possibly be a Scotty Miller. Now, when you're so focused on London and Pitts and John New Smith and B. John Robinson and Tyler Algier coming out of the backfield, and, and obviously our running backs can catch it, obviously, that, you know, again, B. John Robinson is going to be a guy that they use a good bit. And Cordero Patterson was a double-digit touchdown guy with rushing and receiving a couple of years ago for this team. But even he could be a guy that vultures some touchdowns in the passing game. Even he could be a guy that finds his way in that, again, when you're so focused on some of these other pieces. But but again, to me, if we're going to really get to where we need to get to, it's got to be Kyle Pitts. And Kyle Pitts has to have that breakout kind of season. He's got to be that guy that puts up those Travis Kelsey kinds of numbers, and he becomes a complete mismatch, and he's a dominant player. I'm, and again, I'm not talking about he's a Pro Bowl alternative or different things like that. Talking about a first or second all pro kind of player. I mean, again, we're talking about a guy who's the fourth draft pick overall. When you spend that kind of draft capital, whether this is fair or unfair, and we what did we just say in the last segment? Perception has the same effect as truth. It has to be that he has to be a Travis Kelsey like performer to make sense of, of that pick, a difference maker for your franchise. Or else we should have taken Michael Parsons and Panesul. We should have taken those guys. Those guys are difference makers for their franchises. It's not coincidence that Aiden Hutchinson and Panay Sewell drafted in back-to-back years, and all of a sudden the Detroit Lions go from one of the worst teams in the NFL to all of a sudden they're a, an above 500 team. It's not, not coincidence that Michael Parsons come into the Dallas Cowboys and completely turns their defensive you know, schematic around, and, they, and they're one of the premier defenses in the NFL now. Got to have those kinds of players. I think Kyle Pitts can be that kind of guy, but we haven't seen it yet. Injuries, you know, lack of production, you know, again, um, you know, the quarterbacks that are throwing to him. Now, I'm not saying it's all his fault, but certainly when you combine Arthur Smith and the quarterback play and, and Kyle Pitts himself, all three of those things have been a factor in why it hasn't been that breakout yet. So I do anticipate the idea of that Kyle Pitts is a double-digit touchdown guy. I think that he's going to be that guy that breaks through. And I think this is the year for Kyle Pitts. It ha- Let me put it this way. It, it almost has to be. Will his career, you know, be over if he doesn't have – no, no. But but then you start to question about, okay, did are we, are we getting what we expected? You can't tell me that a guy's a unicorn and he's a two-touchdown guy. Sorry, but that ain't a unicorn. I, I, don't, I don't know what your definition of a unicorn is. Unless you, you know, talk about being a unicorn where you stick a horn up your keister. But that's not a unicorn. Two touchdowns. Right? Not not when um what's his name? Um the, the tight end that we had last year. Um, oh gosh. Um uh Michael Pruitt. Right? When Michael Pruitt catches twice as many touchdowns, okay. You know, that that's Michael Pruitt should never have a season where he catches twice as many touchdowns. He, he again, I don't Michael Pruitt is no vulture, right? 
Michael Pruitt, Michael Pruitt is that not that kind of player that should be a vulture for your team. That should be still a mismatch that Kyle Pitts has. So I'll take Kyle Pitts for the double-digit touchdowns this year, and we'll see what happens. But I think there's a lot of good options when you talk about what we can be in the red zone if we get to that kind of level. All right, Christy Dosh going to join us up next. We'll talk some NIL with her. Chuck Ray Nikia Studios, Sports Radio, 1990 Game, the Odyssey.com app. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, back at a Chuckery Show, hanging out in the studios on this Friday night with you. By the way, Braves are up 3-0 already. So, uh, 404-726-0929, that is the Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Well, uh, as we're trying to figure out what the future governance of NIL is going to be, name, image, and likeness, we... Uh, we turn to uh, you know somebody who knows probably about as much about this as anybody in the country. Christy Dosh is joining us here on the WaitFor.com hotline. Atlanta's Ford dealer. She's sports business reporter for Forbes, founder of the Business of College and Sports Jobs, uh, Sports and Jobs in NIL. You can follow her on her personal Twitter page at SportsBizMiss. Christy, as always, thanks for a few minutes uh, here in Atlanta with us tonight. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I don't live up there anymore, but I'm born and bred in Atlanta and always happy to come on up there. Absolutely. Um, you know, Christy, I'm, I'm rubbing my eyes because this whole idea of the federal government getting involved. Look, the federal government does two things really well. They print money and fight wars. That's the only thing that the federal government does well. I don't want them anywhere near this name, image, and likeness. And I'm not saying that they're doesn't need to be regulations, but what are your thoughts about the idea of the federal government getting involved and starting to put standards in play for this? Yeah, I've always thought it was kind of a long shot that they were going to do anything about it. I mean, there have been, I think, more than a dozen federal bills related to NIL that have been introduced over the last couple of years, and none of them have even made it out of committee. And a big part of that is because the congressional leaders can't agree about what should be in there um, and even you know, talk about extending it beyond NIL to cover other parts of college sports as well. So I know the NCAA is hopeful that that will solve its problems in terms of differing state laws. And I, I sort of understand the angst with that, but I don't think a federal law is coming at, at all, but certainly not anytime soon. I, I'm not optimistic that it's going to happen. Well, I guess what's the downside of letting the states, I mean, again, this is how, I hate to say it this way, but I mean, this is how government's supposed to work. The states should be able to decide what the future of these things is and what the rules and regulations are and Look, I understand competitive balance and all that, but again, there's no competitive balance in in the world of collegiate athletics. I mean, it's already lopsided to to the premier program. So what's wrong with having the states govern how all of this gets handled? Yeah, I think the danger now, you know, where where the tipping point was for me was last week when Texas passed its new bill uh, that its governor, uh, governor signed, which essentially says the NCAA can't enforce its own rules. 
so I, I expect that other states will be passing that soon as well. There have already been discussions in other states. So now you're just essentially saying the, the NCAA can no longer govern its member institutions. So college sports just isn't going to have rules anymore. Everybody can just do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. You know, there, there's nothing that operates like that. Professional sports operate under rules now, albeit that's with professional athletes as employees, collectively bargaining with the league. And I think that's probably where we're headed. There's a big case going to the National Labor Relations Board in November, and the early indications are that that board will likely decide that student athletes are employees. And I think college sports will look very, very different a couple of years from now. We'll uh, we'll get back to that point here in just a second, but I want to I want to <laughs> I, 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 I do want to say that what I mean. Look, the the talk has always been that football may get away from the NCAA to govern itself. I mean, Steve Spurrier has always said it's a 1950s rule book governing in the 21st century, and there are a lot of antiquated things about the way the NCAA governs over football. I'm not saying that there's not a use for them, especially in other sports. But, you know, look, they had a chance to get their arms around this and they kicked the can down the road for, de- for not for years, for decades on this. They knew that this was going to come at some point. And now for Charlie Baker to come out and say, well, you know, we got to get federal. Well, wait a second. You guys kicked the can down the road. You didn't want to embrace this idea of athletes making money off this. And now you're trying to scramble to try to put something back. And that's why I think I wonder if, A, the NCAA is a dying breed, which I think that they are as far as governing football. But it's a lot of gall for Charlie Baker to come out and say, well, you know, now we got to pass federal laws when they had all the chances in the world to wrap their arms around and get some things in place for this. Yeah, 100%. I agree that they put themselves in this situation. And you know, I think even sometimes I kind of forget, like the NCAA doesn't just you know, pass its own rules. The people in Indianapolis are not making these rules up or, or declining to change these rules. It's the university presidents who govern. They are the ones who vote on legislation, new legislation, changing legislation. So it's the schools themselves making the decisions on these rules, not some sort of, you know, uh, dictator in Indianapolis that's doing it. However, I do think there's a huge disconnect between what university presidents want and what university athletic directors want. And I think that we've finally gotten to a point where having presidents make these decisions about athletics, particularly with regards to football, maybe doesn't make sense anymore. I I've myself met a number of presidents who knew very little about the college sports that they governed. Christy Dosh, sports business reporter, joining me here on the waitfor.com hotline. And, and I'll always remember our conversation that when all of this kind of first started, you were one of the people, and I always remember the idea that you talked about social media influence and different things like this. And we have seen a, a just an explosion of, and I hate to say it this way, but I mean, folks that are on Instagram, big Twitter presence, you know, you know, these kind of big social media platforms and stuff like that, that, you know, it wasn't just going to be the football players that made all the money. We're seeing people in all, you know, swimming, softball, different things like that, that there are so many athletes that are cashing in right now, and especially a lot of it off their social media presence. I always give you credit for, for that because you're one of the first people that brought that up to me. Oh, thank you. You know, I really think that is what has sort of equalized things for female versus male athletes. I mean, you're always going to have football players and some men's basketball players who 
are getting paid, I don't want to say above market rate, because market rate is whatever someone's willing to pay, but they're getting paid, you know, far beyond what they would get in sort of the normal influencer realm for the number of followers that they have. But when you get outside of football, men's basketball, I mean, I have seen some women just absolutely killing it, multiple six figures into the millions when you talk about athletes like the Cavender twins, but, Mm -hmm. you know, names you wouldn't even recognize. Emily Cole, who's a track and field athlete at Duke, she is multiple six figures. She's been killing it. You know, Leah Clapper, who just graduated from University of Florida, who's a gymnast, same thing, absolutely killed it at NIL. And Leah just graduated, and her entire career plan has changed because of NIL. And that's the stuff about NIL that I love. So I guess what's the next steps? I mean, I, I the thing I always said about name, image, and likeness was in the old system, if you will, Look, athletes were capitalizing off of their success. It may not be at the level that it is now with NIL, but, you know, again, the bags of money. And I mean, look, John Hot Rod Williams in, in, in Tulane had a shoe bo- a Nike shoebox full of cash underneath his bed. So you had all of the boosters and things like that that were doing the backdoor deals and such. Now with NIL, at least things have come out to the light and we can kind of see where money comes from in, in all of this. So what's the next kind of step as far as NIL? But what do you think the next kind of breakthrough thing is for name, image, and likeness? Yeah, you know, I think right now it's those changing state laws with regards to the NCAA's ability to even govern NIL. They really don't have very many rules around NIL right now. When they passed NIL, it basically just said, if you have a state law, follow it. If you don't have a state law, follow your school's policy. And, oh, you can have accountants and attorneys and advisors. That was really it. And then always in the rule book, there had been the rule against pay for play and inducement. But I think we all know inducement is happening. Lots of high school kids, lots of transfers are signing NIL deals or at least agreeing verbally to NIL deals before they make their decisions. That's not how it's supposed to work, but we all know that it's working like that. And now it looks like states are going to move to take away the NCAA's right to do anything about that. But frankly, they haven't been doing anything about it anyway. Yeah, and, you know, the other part of this is, and and you brought this up about earlier, about the idea of athletes becoming state employees. Now, I I talked to somebody that was from the state of North Carolina that was, um, I I, I think it was like the director of labor for the state of North Carolina um, years ago. And this was probably like seven or eight years ago. And she brought this exact idea up about, you know, we, we would get to a point where, if you're an athlete, you become an employee of the state. Is that something that you think will happen? Do you think that that is something that is also in the future works, that these athletes become state employees when all is said and done? Yeah, right now there's a, a case that's making its way to the National Labor Relations Board. It involves football and men's and women's basketball athletes, just those three sports. However, the test for employment doesn't look at whether a sport generates revenue or not. So even though football and men's and women's basketball are generally revenue sports, as we call them, it would you know, need to extend to include all other student athletes because they, if those three sports meet the definition of employment, so do all the rest of them. And what's really interesting is I've been teaching NIL at University of Florida for the last 
year and a half. Uh, I teach in two different departments, and I've had a handful of student-athletes in my class every single semester. And the last unit of the semester, I have them read articles arguing both sides, arguing that, yes, they're employees, and here's why, and here's what it'll look like when they become employees, or no, they're not, here's why not. And I try to really present both sides equally, and then I ask them in their final discussion board, do you think student-athletes are employees? Why or why not? And every single athlete I've had in my class every semester says, no, not athletes, uh, not employees and don't want to be, you know, they're, they're very concerned about how there might be some disadvantages to being an employee, like being able to be fired, being penalized for being late. Uh, You know, there are a number of things that will look different if they're employees and not all student athletes are on board with that. So, I mean, we've had this brought up before the idea of unionization. So is that something that athletes that if they're not employees, they argue that they, you know, can, you know, become a union and in fight for rights that, you know, again, they, you know, that, that, you know, kind of an equal set of rights across the board. Do you think unionization is something that could happen first before any idea of being a state employee? It actually gets really complicated. There, there are ways to create essentially trade associations without them being employees. I, I don't want to give people a whole law class on this, but the more likely avenue is going to be that they're deemed to be employees and can unionize that way. However, about half of the states do not allow employees of the government, which would include public universities within the state, to unionize. So in about half of the states, student-athletes at public universities would have no ability to unionize. And then the rules look different for private versus public schools anyway. So you're looking at this kind of patchwork like we have with NIL already. And so it's not like they'll just decide student-athletes are employees and suddenly they'll all be able to organize and unionize and collectively bargain. It's far more complicated than that. So I I am curious because I I know how knowledgeable you are in all this and, and you've been ahead of the curve on this issue. What what is the message that you try to get across to your students? Like, what is kind of the theme of the idea of of the message that you're trying to brand for them? I'm really trying to focus on all the things I love about NIL, which is not only their ability to monetize right now and do one-off kind of deals, but really thinking about the deals that you accept or that you go after. How can you put together things that help you with your future career? Like I've seen student athletes who, in addition to compensation, have asked for a micro internship with the company, or they've asked for a meeting with the CEO. You know, they're trying to network and put themselves in a position to be able to find a great job after graduation. They're forming their own companies and becoming entrepreneurs. You know, some of the top ones are taking equity in companies. They're getting board seats. You know, that sort of long-term thinking is what I love about NIL. So we start with the basics about, you know, what is your personal brand? What are the ways you can monetize your NIL? But then I really try to teach them a little more about how they can take this beyond graduation. And it's not just something you do while you're a student athlete. And, And many of them have really taken that to heart. And it's been fun to watch sports business reporter founder of the business of college and uh, college sports and jobs in nil christy dosh joined us here on the waitfor.com hotline check out her twitter page at sports biz miss christy as always really appreciate the uh, the time and the info um keep doing great work and uh listen we always appreciate having you on so thanks so much for being uh, on the show tonight 
Yeah, thanks for having me. And go Braves. You got it. <laughs> when we come back, top of the hour, Falcons fly over as uh, Braves are up 3 nothing right now. How's that whole 10 ERA thing working out for that pitcher for the Rockies? So, anyway, Chuck in the Kia Studios, Sports Radio, 19 on the game, the Odyssey.com app. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.